welcome to The Doctor Diaries, a podcast which will take you behind the scenes of the intriguing medical world. Join me, Hanya Rovesby, as I chat to our guests who will take us through their insights, experiences and ideas as an expert, thought leader and trailblazer in this space. Today we have the, a special treat. Today we have with us Dr. Raylia Liu. Dr. Raylia Liu is a CREI fertility specialist, gynaecologist, and the Director of Women's Health Melbourne. Welcome, Raylia. Hi, Hanya. How are you? Good. It's also my great pleasure to have known you for quite a few years now as you've started out your practice. So thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. That's okay. Thank you for having me. So, Raylia, um, it would be really interesting today on Dr Diaries to explore your journey in where you've arrived today. So maybe we'll start at the very beginning. Perhaps you can tell me about your journey, how you started, your studies, why you chose to do what you're doing and what was the journey like? Sure. Well, I started as a kind of bright-eyed, bushy-tailed undergraduate medical student and I really uh, didn't think of a particular area of medicine that I was attracted to overall at the very beginning. But when I was a high school student, I was very interested in genetics and I loved biology and I loved the emerging technologies of genetics. So when I was a year 10 student, stepping back even further, I did a work experience placement at the Murdoch Institute at the Royal Children's Hospital looking at genetics. And So if I had any idea of which direction I might have gone in, that's kind of what I was thinking and what I was most interested. And when I was a third-year medical student, I first was introduced to the concept of IVF and specifically preconception genetic diagnosis of embryos in a lecture at Monash University. Technology has moved so much since then. We're talking about 20 years ago, actually. In those early days, embryos in IVF were cultured to the cleavage stage, so day two or three after they fertilised. And it used to be that we would biopsy, or science and IVF scientists would biopsy a cell, a single cell from that early stage embryo. And this was the first that I'd heard of the ability to detect genetic diseases in embryos before they were implanted to make a baby. And that was, I thought, super fascinating. So when I was a medical student in my fifth year, two years later, I was able to choose to do a medical elective and I chose to do it in the area of IVF because I had that interest from that early time in my medical journey. So Really, from then, I really enjoyed that area of medicine and I really enjoyed that experience and I thought, right, I might become an IVF doctor. So that's kind of how how my journey started. Yeah. I thought to myself, well, how do you become an IVF doctor? And I thought, well, you've got to do obstetrics and gynaecology. So I, at the earliest stage possible, went into obstetrics and gynaecology but always with the view that I really wanted to study genetics and I wanted to study fertility medicine and IVF. And I, in fact, detoured between finishing my O&G studies and 
doing my subspecialty training in reproductive endocrinology to do a PhD in genetics, where I studied preconception genetic screening and preconception genetic diagnosis. So I kind of um, got onto that train and kept on it really right from the beginning. That's really interesting because you had to go down a particular specialty path to veer off. And, you know, obstetrics and gynecology, especially obstetrics, is the other end of what you're doing. You're helping the babies come to the world. And so really your qualification is very comprehensive. Yeah, in a way, it's, it's a little bit of, I, I, I never regret my obstetrics training. And I think as a fertility specialist, it gives you a lot of insight to have done that for six years. But I really did enjoy it very much at the time. And I really felt, you know, really honoured to deliver babies and to look after women throughout pregnancy. Now I kind of refer to myself tongue-in-cheek as a retired obstetrician because I no longer do deliveries and look after women throughout pregnancy as part of my day-to-day work as a fertility subspecialist. But I do love getting photos of uh, the babies I deliver and hearing back and more and more as my practice matures, seeing patients for the second and a few now third babies, which is beautiful. That is so exciting. I might take you back to the year 10, Raylia, and your early studies because the the area of medicine you're in is so progressive that it's just even interesting to hear it through your studies and the technologies of IVF. How did you see the changes go and, and what modifications did you have to make? Yeah, so even up to probably as early as even five to 10 years ago, it used to be that embryo transfers in IVF were usually performed on day two or three of the embryo's life. Uh, And in nature, at that time, when you have a day two or three embryo, it actually isn't in the womb at all. It's in the fallopian tube, which is the tube that connects the ovary to the womb, it's not physically connected, but the tube that picks up the egg from the ovary and the egg meets the sperm in the tube. And then the embryo develops down the fallopian tube and moves towards the womb. And actually embryos in IVF and in nature are now reaching the womb as a blastocyst. So we're trying now to be more emulating what actually happens in the body. Yes. Why that didn't happen earlier was the lab was not sophisticated enough and we didn't understand early embryo science enough to support embryos to grow to this stage successfully in a laboratory environment. But with the advance of technology, IVF outcomes over the last 20, 30 years have just become so much more successful as a generalisation, and we've learned a lot about how human embryos behave and the conditions that they ideally want to be in. And and so there's been a a really great leap forward in embryo success in terms of making a baby since blastocyst cultures become more standard. That's fantastic. Isn't it amazing that that's allowed people to have a lot more success in just it would be so great to see all these, you know, working with your patients and seeing the successes they have. The other area I know that you're working a lot in is people who aren't ready to get pregnant yet and may want to take advantage of time to use the technologies to freeze. 
Yeah, look, egg freezing is amazing. And I've done a lot of research in this area. And I don't know if you know, Hanya, but I'm the first author of the current Australian guideline on egg freezing for elective reasons. Congratulations. Thank you. So I did that guideline for ANSRI, which is the Society of Reproductive Endocrinologists and Infertility Subspecialists of RANSCOG, which is the College of ONG. Look, egg freezing was considered experimental, in fact, up until 2012 when it was really given the green light to be used as a more mainstream fertility treatment. So that was not that long ago. And the reason for it is really the great progress in the field of egg freezing, particularly in relation to vitrification. So that's a technique of freezing where we actually extract the water content of the egg, which is the largest cell in the human body. And we freeze it very, very quickly with some cryoprotectants. And that really allowed the outcomes of making babies from frozen eggs to be so, so much better that it was considered ethical to use that technology, not just in an experimental context for cancer, fertility preservation, but also for women who wish to freeze eggs electively. I think it's especially poignant actually right now because of this pandemic. I mean, it's put put so many breaks on plans that people have had for their lives. And I'm actually seeing quite a few women thinking about egg freezing at the moment it's a particularly difficult time in isolation if you're single to meet somebody and to move forward to start a family. So I'm very pleased that this technology is, for this generation, an option. Yeah, oh, amazing. I think it's really empowering, especially for women, that they're not rushed anymore or they got the option not to be rushed to potentially make a decision about having a child just because time is ticking away. The type of patient you had early on in your practice versus now, it'd be interesting to see how that's changed since you've started out in practice. What have you observed? Well, I think one thing is I've observed in the demographics that kind of we're moving from the mainstream patient being Gen X to Gen Y or millennial, I guess. You know, nature before the world of contraception intended us to be mothers in our teens and grandmothers in our 30s. What a lot of people are trying to do right now is have babies in their late 30s and even early to mid 40s in some cases. So we're really pushing the boundaries of the biologically plausible window of fertility And when you do try and have a baby after 35, there's a lot of biological hurdles just because as women, we make all the eggs we're going to ever make in our lifetime while we're still in utero. Actually, one of my patients said this to me earlier today when he was um, talking about seeing his daughter at a 20-week ultrasound and the ultrasound doctor pointed out the ovaries in the baby that can be seen on ultrasound and said there's all your grandchildren already made because those are the eggs that are going to be there for your daughter's lifetime already made, which is a little bit mind-blowing really, but that's what women do. We've got a very different biology to men who make sperm every day from puberty until they pass away, but we make all our eggs right at the beginning. So the eggs have a particular biology and after a certain amount of time passes, 
making a baby becomes actually very difficult and it becomes the exceptional egg that can do it rather than the average for every woman at a certain time point. So I've noticed, I suppose, that the age range of my patients when I go into theatre, all the surgeons listening may you know, know that every time you go into theatre you do an ID check of your patient and you look at their armband and you look at their consent form. I've looked at the, the years on that armband go from at the beginning of my career, the early 70s, to now the occasional late 70s but mainly 80s and even starting to go into the 90s. So I would say that's the main difference that I can see demographically. Yeah, actually um, the ages, yeah. So fascinating. I think we might talk about your practice actually, which is so innovative and very interesting. The patient obviously needs not just your services but a whole raft of services and maybe this is a good point for us to tell us about how you came up with the concept of Women's Health Melbourne and what's your vision and mission and philosophy and how did it start and how has it changed over time? Sure, well, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's okay. I know a lot about your practice, so I'm quite you excited. Do. You do, no, I'm excited too. Women's Health Melbourne was a concept I had right from the beginning. And when I started my practice, it was literally just myself and my secretary. And I called it Women's Health Melbourne rather than Dr. Raylia Lou because I always had the vision that this would be the direction that we took. And I wanted to future-proof kind of all of our branding because I knew I was going to go that way. So when I came into the world of IVF, I realised that You do need a team and a village to make a baby and particularly in fertility medicine, which is very complicated, extremely personal. And I really wanted to build the most beautiful and holistic team so that I could support my patients going through the IVF journey as best as possible with not only the best outcome, because I am very goal-orientated for my patients, but also the best experience. Because some people have gone through IVF and even had a good outcome in terms of having their babies, but may have not had the world's best experience in terms of making the treatment as gentle a pathway and as, I guess, the least stressful a pathway as possible. So... My dream for Women's Health Melbourne was that it would be a place where I could offer the highest end of fertility care using the very best laboratory available so that my IVF patients has the very best chance of success per treatment and also to build a model of care where I could incorporate all of the different philosophies for all of the allied health practitioners that help support women throughout fertility treatment and also men. And so that's really the dream and the ethos behind Women's Health Melbourne. And I guess how has it changed? Well, an extension of that dream is moving beyond fertility and gynecology into other spheres of women's health. So we're very excited to have plans to develop relationships with other specialists who have interests in women's health that may or may not be directly related to fertility so that our patients can think of us as the health destination, that's our goal, for women's health and women's care. Oh, it's 
such a great concept. And as you can tell by my enthusiasm of introducing the concept, I think it's fantastic that I know as I've worked with you that physically your practice is divine and gorgeous and a wonderful place to come to and that you've worked very hard to develop great relationship with clinical partners, may I say, that will help support all the um, patients that come to your practice. So I, uh, congratulations, you just are always working to that sort of higher standard, which is fantastic. But all that takes a toll. So I'd like to talk about Dr. Raylia Lu, the woman now. So you're the doctor, you're also a businesswoman, you do have a family and you do have other interests. So please tell me how you're doing it all. <laughs> well, look, I, I kind of um, probably not as much of an energizer bunny as I was a few years ago when I was a little bit younger, but I just feel that you only have one life to lead and you really, you know, have to go by the if not now, when, and if not me, who kind of philosophy. So obviously I'm not perfect. I don't think anybody is. And there are times where I don't have the balance right. But I think life is not a race and you can have different goals and you may not necessarily, well, I find personally I may not necessarily achieve the greatest heights I would hope for myself in any particular goal at any particular moment, but I think having the confidence and having the courage and having the persistence and the work ethic in terms of the professional side of things is really important. I'm very lucky that I've been able to recently have Geordie come into the business as a as at a managerial role. The practice has grown to allow for her to come in, which has been wonderful. And of course, you've helped me so much, Hanya, um, in terms of helping me, you kind of, you know, I don't have to necessarily be the expert in every arena. I have no history of any kind of formal education in business and um, I've really learnt the ropes with you guys helping me. So, you know, I appreciate it so much and I live by that philosophy in my personal life as well to some degree, you know, less stuff, more stuff and I'm very into outsourcing. So, all the things that I don't love doing, I do outsource and I put my energy into my work and my practice and into my family. Well, thank you for the compliment. And Geordie is amazing. Um, she's great talent that's come to your practice. But the outsourcing, I am totally agree. I think that's the key. So do what you're best at and bring in people around you that can do fantastic things with you, which brings me to um, another area that you're doing similar well, you were doing it before me, but you're also podcasting and producing content with an amazing podcast called Knocked Up. Geordie is my co-host on the podcast and she's one of my oldest friends. And she actually came to work with me after several years of being my co-host on the podcast. That was probably her introduction to reproduction and reproductive mm -hmm. medicine. And, you know, kind of very happily, her background is completely non-medical. She was trained in fashion and retail. So very different, very different. She's trained as a fashion buyer, so completely non-medical. And Geordie actually had the idea of starting the podcast because she would say to me at a stage where we were both at that point in time, because we've been going for quite a while, but we, we were in that point of time in our late 30s. And a lot of our friends were either thinking about fertility, maybe some of them having a bit of 
a difficult time, some of them not yet being partnered and thinking about egg freezing. Geordie certainly was in that category as well. And Geordie said to me, look, at that point in time, and I know things have necessarily changed, uh, but there really wasn't any podcast out there that really demystified a lot of the fertility language and questions and medical terms for a lay audience. And that was really how Knocked Up was born. We really wanted to have that juxtaposition of the doctor, the specialist, and the lay host to really break down hard concepts for women to digest and to understand and to learn in a safe environment because it's a very personal area. And a lot of women don't want to talk about it with their friends or their family or their usual support networks, and they can listen to a podcast very privately and learn a lot. So that was really the goal. And I guess from my perspective as a fertility subspecialist, now I'm very blessed to have a busy thriving practice, but I'll only be able to treat a certain number of patients and you know help a certain number of women in my day-to-day because there's only so many hours in the day. Whereas through my podcast, we can reach a much broader audience and hopefully help more people in the fertility sphere because it's such an important area. It definitely is. And I think you're feeling a very important need because, you know, there is a lot of content out there provided by perhaps people who are not, not qualified at all. Maybe they will be speaking from their experiences or information they have gathered. So to have access to a highly qualified specialist talking not in an appointment but on a podcast to have access to that kind of information is so valuable. But what I think is amazing and is great that you brought to your practice is the lay person, say somebody, Geordie, you said she's from a retail and buying group. I Often when I'm working with my practices, I do say, well, some of the best managers come from non-medical because they come in with a good organised corporate mind or knowing how to run things. And then they'll ask questions objectively and it does make you question, oh, why do we do that? What is this for? So it's actually quite a, a good way to um, do your podcast, but also bring somebody into your business like that. Just going back to your Knocked Up podcast, is there any podcast that you've had that really sticks out in your mind, a topic that was a real aha moment, or you're thinking, wow, I'm really glad we're looking at this particular topic now that maybe it has been swept under the carpet or not really been discussed before? Oh, Hanya, we've got so many episodes now. We've been going for every week for over a couple of years. But, you know, I love talking about single women particularly and giving single women information about fertility because I think it's something that a lot of people don't really understand their options. And I think it's something that's been quite taboo in past generations for single women to have babies without a partner or even just to take control of their fertility. I mean, if we look back, even, you know, kind of to when my mother was a teenager, you know, the state was still an accomplice in taking babies away for forced adoption from young women. This actually happened to many women against their will. And it's really been a massive change of mindset really since the 60s and, you know, the feminist revolution, really, that women can be independent, that we can have a career, that we can also be mothers. 
and that those things are not mutually exclusive. So, you know, there are women around who have reached their mid-30s or their late 30s and they are single and or they've ended a long-term relationship and they really want to be mothers but they don't have a partner. And so I think, you know, talking about things like sperm donation and just talking about the pathways available to women uh, is one of my favourite topics that we've spoken a bit about on the podcast. Yeah, that is fantastic because, again, it's empowering to have that control. And I think also, as you said, it's only not even one generation that attitudes have changed, that women can make decisions on behalf of themselves and are not reliant on society to or to be in a particular relationship for things to happen. And I suppose things have probably also changed. There's so many other topics. Probably we don't even have time to cover them off. Religion and IVF, LGBTQI and IVF, single women and IVF. Well, what I'll do is I'll put the link to your podcast in these episode notes and we'll go from there. Uh, oh, if anybody's interested, they can um, click on and have a look. So what I'm really interested then is how does Dr. Aelia Lu, when you're not being a doctor, how do you unwind? What do you do? What's your hobby? Uh, look, I like to read when I have time and I like to read to my kids. I like to go for walks outside. I love nature. I love particularly, and this is not going to happen for a long time, but I love travel and learning about new places and walking around in a place with a different culture. Those are things that I, I definitely love, but they're a little bit off the cards for the time being. But spending time with my family, spending time with my kids, doing the crossword, reading the paper on the weekends, one of my guilty pleasures, having lunch with friends, having a chat. You know, these are the things that I really love and adore. Getting dressed up and going out on the town, although, again, not for now. <laughs> I've got to say, for, for listeners to this Raelia's fashion and style is out of this world. I've always admired you and your fashion sense. It's amazing. In fact, it, your fashion is reflected in your practice. It's just so beautiful, both both those things you do. so. But, yeah, it really comes down to enjoying life, really, isn't it, making time to enjoy just the simple things. That's right. You know, once when I was an intern, actually, my first ever rotation was in amputee rehab, which is very far removed from what I do now. But I remember one of my patients said to me, you know, we're here for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> I've always remembered that. Well, it's true. It's so, so true. It's all about that, enjoying every moment that you can. Absolutely. And the roses, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So I just might want to touch a little bit now. Well, we sort of touched on it talking about your hobbies, but mindset. You do own a business now, you're running a busy practice and you've um, got your family life and you've just told me that you've um, written a paper. How do you work in that mindset with all those different categories that you have and how do you mesh them all together? Oh, uh, look, I think you can think of it as a strength or you can think of it as a weakness. You know, I actually look up to people who can feel an itch is scratched and gain satisfaction you know, and, and kind of bask in that satisfaction for long periods of time. I'm always looking for the next challenge. You are. <laughs> so it's like tick next. Vouch <laughs> for that. So what is the next challenge, Raylia? Oh, uh, well, look, for me right now, the next challenge, I've got a little bit of a side hustle that I'm very excited that will be launching hopefully shortly, looking at developing a range of actually uh, lubricants for women, because I've noticed in this career of mine in my practice that 
So I look after women also as a reproductive endocrinologist in menopause, and I see my patients through many stages of, of their endocrine life. And I notice that women's sexuality and women's life enjoyment and quality of life really has not been prioritized. And, you know, looking to reinvent that sexual satisfaction as we, you know, age gracefully, you know, kind of as a woman in her 40s, you know, looking ahead to my 50s and 60s, I hope to live a happy and hopefully like every other woman, a sexually satisfying life. But, you know, I think there's a real deficit in that area. So we're really developing a project called Lovers. It's not yet ready, but it'll be coming out in the next little while where we develop a range of orgasmic lubricants. Oh, I love that. I, I know that you've uh, been going down that path and it, it is very interesting. And I suppose on your Women's Health Melbourne website, we'll be able to find out more information about that if anybody who's listening is interested in connecting in, in lovers i'll just keep an eye on the lovers instagram actually it's going to have its own website eventually in the next few months we should launch so very excited about that project too oh congratulations i think that's very exciting and it fits in well with that whole women's health really looking at all those areas of women's health it's amazing fantastic Raylia. uh look i think it's just amazing all those things that you have done and you are doing and uh bringing in products as well, which is great. I just thought in regards to that product, have you had it specially formulated? Is it something very... That's sp- right. That's right. It's, it's going to be uh, very tailor-made for the individual and we have certainly been studying the effects of our different options. So, yeah, keep your, oh, your um, kind of ears tuned for more. Very bespoke. It's very oh, bespoke. Yeah. I'm very into bespoke. I'm very into individualised care. Because no woman, you know, kind of is a cookie cutter kind of production. We're all different. We all have different needs and we all have a different emphasis and we have our preferences. We prefer certain things. So it's not just that you may need a certain thing, you may prefer things a certain way. So, yeah, I'm very much into bespoke creativity and that's what this project is really about. Oh, yes, definitely. We'll all be looking out for more information about that. That's fantastic, Raylia. Well, look... I just can't wait to see what's going to even come from you from Beyond Lovers. So I think definitely with the Dr Diaries podcast, I'll have to have you on as a guest. I'm sure in 12 months' time there'll be a a whole new level of um, exciting things happening and technology improving and products coming out. It's just amazing, Raylia. Congratulations. Thank you, Hanya. So just to wind up on our podcast, are there any um, words of wisdom or anything you'd like to share in conclusion? for our interview today? Well, look, I I would say that, you know, for anyone who's listening who's a woman in medicine or a man in medicine and you want to go in a particular direction, you know, I'd encourage you to follow your dreams and follow your ambitions and not be put off by things that might be hard in the immediate future. I found that I've lived by that and, you know, I've had times where things have been hard and things have been challenging and You know, when I've had my children, I've certainly met with some discrimination in terms of training programs and what was allowed and what wasn't allowed and what was counted and what wasn't counted. At the end of the day, retrospectively, we navigate these challenges. And I think it's really important to maintain self-belief and maintain momentum and do things on your terms. And also remember life's not a race. And if things take a little bit longer, 
but you go where you want to go, that's also really important. So that, that would be my parting words of wisdom, Hanya. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's very inspiring. Thanks, Aurelia. You know, very sage advice. It's fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time today. And I encourage everybody to tune into your podcast as well and, and have a look on your website. But thanks so much for your time and good luck. Thanks, Hanya. See you later. Thank you for listening to The Doctor Diaries. You can find out more about our amazing guests on our website, hanyaroversby.com.au or join our Instagram page, Dr. Diaries Podcast, to find out more about our podcasts. We look forward to you joining us again.